calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, I'm John Rogers with CFA Institute, and today we're very fortunate to be joined by Robert Bruner. Bob is the Dean of the Darden School of Business at the University of Virginia. He's been a professor here for over 30 years and Dean since 2005. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. I want to ask you, you're a real student and have written extensively about financial crises. How do you rate the global financial crisis of 2008 to 2012 relative to those you've studied? This crisis would easily qualify for the second worst in modern history. Uh, it is uh, surely dwarfed by the severity of the uh, onset of the Great Recession in 1931-32, but um, it's, it's about as broad in scope. It has caused uh, a similar magnitude of damage it's taking um, a longer time to work out than any other uh, crisis uh, that we've seen in modern history. So I'd, I'd rank this up at the very top, maybe not the top. Um, and what distinguishes this one from all previous crises is the sheer size of institutions that were affected uh, and the degree of intervention by central banks coordinated and uh, informed by economic theory and empirical research. This is uh, vastly different from all of the other severe crises we've had in modern times. Well, you wrote the book literally on the Panic of 1907, which was a transformative event in terms of the U.S. banking system, and yet not 20 years later, we had an entirely larger magnitude of meltdown. So uh, the policy responses coming out of this crisis thinking back to what we learned uh, in 1907 and then 1929. Are the policy responses going to be sufficient this time? The, um, the policy responses are never known to be sufficient, but with the long view of history. Uh, what we'll see is a, a very long gestation period for the uh, actions and, and policies that we put in place, and we'll know uh, how effective they've been in, in uh, the, the fullness of time. The, the reality is that um, markets continue to change in unanticipated ways, and whatever policies have been put in place to forestall the next crisis uh, will almost certainly be inadequate to the task. Mm -hmm. I think the best training, the best development for finance professionals is to adopt a, a nimble attitude, a, a very wary, watchful attitude about the conditions of uh, bubbles and, and uh, crisis precursors and then to, to adapt their own uh, investing and corporate policies accordingly rather than to assume that the regulatory regime is adequate to the task. Within the field of finance and the field of economics, there's, there's been so much development around uh, 
theory of behavioral economics, behavioral finance. Now, more recently, we have Rubini and others talking about the, the need for uh, crisis economics, to sort of use his term, mm -hmm. where we have, uh, we have a need perhaps for more, uh, more study, more knowledge of crisis and, and of systemic risk. Uh, do you feel that those areas are adequate, adequately covered today in the, in, in the field itself? They are inadequately covered, and I strongly support uh, the deepening of research into crisis economics. The truth is, <clears throat> post-World War II economics has been dominated by a paradigm of uh, rational decision-making, efficient markets. I think this latest crisis tells us that we need to study the, the crisis precursors, the behavior during panics and crashes, and then the, uh, the, the, the actions necessary to restore economies and markets to stable conditions. Mm. So when you look out at the landscape now, after four years of reliquification, uh, very low nominal interest rates and what have you, are you seeing uh, parts of the global economy that concern you with respect to sort of sustainable recovery uh, of, of the financial and economic system? We are far from out of the woods yet, and history teaches us that. If you look at major crises of the modern era, you discover that they consist of panics and crashes in localities, but that because of linkages among regions and institutions, the crises in the localities spread. Mm. Contagion spreads, fear spreads, instability spreads. So what we've witnessed since uh, August of uh, 2008 has been a rolling series of crises, uh, first centered in the United States, moving to Europe, which has had its own uh, unraveling of, of uh, very severe measure. Uh, today we worry about Japan and uh, other developed economies. Uh, this, this, this crisis has uh, quite a long way to run in that regard until uh, all the major players in the global financial system reach uh, a degree of stability with which we're comfortable. Mm. Until that time, I think we need to regard our current uh, situation as equivalent to the, the Great Depression of uh, virtually 10 years in uh, uh, extent, or, or even what's called the Long Depression, not well known to most business practitioners, but um, well argued by some economists that it prevailed from 1872 to 1896. Let's talk a little bit about financial institutions and the role of financial services in this global financial crisis and then the way forward. So there's a school of thought that, that would be based on growth in financial services over, say, the past uh, 20 or 30 years uh, that would even call the last era an era of financial capitalism. Uh, and, and we now perhaps are entering a new era. And I wonder, given your knowledge of particularly the, the, the panic of 1907 and other great crises, but in 1907 there was something of a watershed do you feel like there's a watershed this time as well? This really feels like a watershed moment, and I think when we look back 20 years from now, we will see growing out of this crisis a dramatic change in attitude toward institutions and how they behave. Uh, in 1907, we had a world of uh, relatively small institutions, um, no central bank, and enormous uh, influence and intervention by uh, a few well-regarded leaders in the financial community, J.P. Morgan, 
preeminent among them. Uh, in, in the present day, uh, we, we know the institution's names perhaps better than the CEOs who run them. Uh, the, even the central bank itself is uh, this, this looming uh, presence over the entire system. Um, what distinguishes the world today, of course, is the just massive magnitude and complexity of the institutions. Um, the, this very complexity leads to the uh, information asymmetry that uh, I referred to earlier uh, as a, a foundational cause of crisis and panic. Uh, complexity means that it's difficult to tell what's going on. Some people are better informed than others. This, this presents uh, opportunities for moral hazard and uh, uh, gaming on, on behalf of one's self-interest. Um, the, the consequence is that we, we see today uh, the rise of uh, a set of attitudes and policy prescriptions aimed at uh, sharply constraining, if not breaking up, the largest institutions on the theory that the biggest institutions are too big to fail, so big that if they did fail, it would inevitably fall to the taxpayers to shore them up. That's what largely happened in 2008, and it, it's an expensive process. What's not well understood, of course, is what would have happened if the taxpayers had not stepped in. And my, my gut hunch, we don't know, but my gut hunch is it would have been even more expensive to taxpayers. Leaving that aside, I think the, you, you, you see respected economist Simon Johnson, whose work I would recommend uh, to be read, and as well as leading regulators, Richard Fisher, the president of the Dallas Fed, uh, are, are, are presenting very um, compelling arguments for constraining the largest institutions. Some of this is driven by kind of financial populism, the belief that it's small banks and institutions who are really shouldering the, the, the load of lending to small and medium-sized businesses and jump-starting the economy. And it's understandable that we all have an interest in economic growth and how the banks would resume lending. Uh, that behavior aside, I think that um, the, the pre-crisis uh, financial capitalism that you referred to is uh, a remarkable era of... Uh, Extraordinary innovation in products and services, extraordinary uh, growth in efficiency, which has largely benefited consumers of financial services. Yes, it's enriched the providers, no doubt about it, but uh, the huge benefits uh, to the consumers themselves. And I, I would hope that uh, we would not lose sight of the uh, extraordinary gains to the public at large from that very era, and that whatever we do in regulating or re-regulating or even breaking up the financial institutions um, uh, preserves for the public interest those uh, long-standing uh, and hard-earned benefits. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. And thanks to all of you for joining us on this Take 15. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.